Episode 160 of Eventually Super Train. It is Thanksgiving time in America, where I am. About to celebrate Thanksgiving. Uh, Hope you all have a great uh, weekend. If you have an extended weekend, awesome. If you're on vacation, awesome. Enjoy Black Friday the best that you can, the best of your abilities. And we are here, and this we got a shorter episode this time. I apologize. The uh, we we were gonna do it was gonna be Max Headroom season one. Uh, episode 5, and then Monster Squad Episode 8. Unfortunately, Mr. Tim S. <laughs> Turner is out sick. And so we're just doing a Monster Squad, but it's a good one. There's some fun sound bites. I know you're going to enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, that's all I really got to say. Did I mention my name was Dan? Did I mention this is eventually Super Train, the short-lived TV show podcast? We covered short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. Eventually, we'll cover Super Train. Normally we do three shows at a time, but we're doing something different at the end of this year. As I've said in the past, what, four or five episodes, we're just trying something a little different. At the end of last year, we tried a little something different too. And, you know, we're just just goofing. We're just goofing. We will be back to when when the show returns in 2024 in February, uh, which will be episode 63, 163. We will uh, be back to three shows and uh, everything will be normal again. But right now we're just having some fun with it. So let me play a little Monster Squad theme and I am on the other side with some sound bites. Enjoy me. <laughs> Monster Squad, October 30th. Whoa, 1976. This is the episode Ultra Witch. Julie Newmar is the Ultra Witch. See, Johnny Brown plays Dandy Andy, a fun guy who makes very dry cookies. And Toil and Trouble are Ultra's two main guys. Dick Bacalian? I've never said his name out loud, but you you know the name when you see it. You go, that guy, Joey Tata, as Trouble. And, um, let's see, written by Roy Cameron and directed by Herman Hoffman. And when this one starts off, uh, the guys are playing, uh, looks like they're playing Monopoly, but it's with um, uh, sort of um, evil monstery rules with dungeons and things like that. So, well, let me let me play a little, little soundbite here. Imagine the three monsters are sitting around. It's Frank's turn. And Frank actually looks, um, he's kind of acting much smarter than usual. He's not acting as dumb as he normally does. And... Um, Walt is standing behind Frank eating a very crunchy cookie. Listen to this. I'll take Haunted Castle on Dark Place. <laughs> Four spaces. Four. One, two, three, four. Chance. Directly to the dungeon. Do not pass ghoul. 
Walt, what's that you're reading? Soda crackers or firecrackers? I'm eating the dandy Andy cooking. Dunk them in milk, please, first. They're, they're splitting my head. Oh, good. You can rent your head out as a piggy bag. There is no milk, you guys. My milkman says there has been no milk for days. Oh. Ah, police call. Attention. All the cows in America have gone sour. All other cows in the world refuse to give milk. Correction. The cow from one small country reported giving milk, but the Arabs have placed an embargo on it. How come they still get milk? Maybe they got pulled. Cut it out, Bruce. No time for small jokes. Cows don't give milk, they burst. If that means every cow in the world is the potential bomb. Oh. Maybe, maybe the cows are just on strike. No, there has to be some utter reason. Bruce? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we'll find out who's stopping the world's milk supply. And when we do, we'll... Well, what? We'll Yeah, and so we learned that uh, there's trouble with all the cows in the world and uh, cookies aren't going great because of uh, step blah, blah, blah. You just heard it. And we learned that it's the Ultra Witch. And Ultra Witch is Julie Newmar. And she's in that sort of um, criminal room that they've all been in. This one has walls, though. And it has, like, there's a periodic table on one wall and there's a map on another wall. And there's a huge, like, um, you know, boil, boil, toil and trouble. And toil and trouble are her henchmen, and they're they're stirring a big pot of soup. And it's it's great when she makes her appearance because the camera is on the guys as they're stirring or not stirring the soup. And all of a sudden, you hear her, and you see a shadow for a moment. And then all of a sudden, she swings into the frame and kind of kicks one of them, and then swings out of the frame. And it's um, that's Julie Newmar, right? That's that's why we love her. You know, she's uh just uh doing all kinds of that uh, crazy good time stuff. And she's she's great in here. She's um. Surly Manor, home of Ultra Witch, hexes, spells, and incantations. And she very much has, um, she's doing very much her own thing, you know, like her, her Catwoman was always very, um, sort of very specific. She's very specific in this. She's got some weird moments. I'll play, I'll play a scene in a minute where, um, uh, Drac goes to visit her. But she's very specific and she's very, very odd. And sort of odd in a way that, um, none of the other ones have really been odd. Uh, and she um she she really goes for it she's having a good time and she's uh she yeah she she goofs uh she she has some of those cookies she talks about turning all the um all the all the yeah the milk is turning into castor oil and um uh she she uses a little later she uses the Ronnie Ray gun on the monsters hug get it get it get it but she's great here she does she'll she'll be talking and suddenly she'll go into little weird voices she'll go that's my favorite kind of and she'll just do it's just weird stuff you, you got to see her but let, let me actually play you um what happens is they meet um uh dandy andy here let, let me play just this this is dandy andy with a big old like baker's hat on coming down the steps to deliver walt some cookies hi andy my man well dig it brought you a little present Chocolate chip cookies, your favorite. Oh, gee, thanks, Andy. That's very generous of you. Oh, no, it isn't. Since the milk supply stopped, nobody's buying my cookies anyway. That bad, huh? Oh, man, dandy Andy cookies without milk? That's like bacon without eggs. 
It's like Damon without Pythias. They're like Sonny without Cher. Nobody's buying your cookies? There's one cat that comes in and buys a big bag full every day. I don't know what he does with them. You know, maybe he's some kind of cookie kook. Or he may just be getting milk. Andy, I think you've given us the clue to the entire milk stoppage. I'll inform the police. Hey, best of luck, because if you don't succeed, I'll be out of business in a week. Worst time, squad. So the squad goes out and they end up following, I think it's Toil, back from uh, Andy's and... Uh, the the monster squad goes and follows uh, follows the guy uh, back to Alter Witch's place, and uh, as Alter Witch is hanging out talking about why she's doing this, and I'll tell you why she's doing it in a moment. She um gets a, there's a knock at the door. I know. I'll turn all the sodas in the world to castor oil. <laughs> Count Dracula. This should be very interesting. Come, Dracula. Come in. I am deeply honored. You recognize me? Of course. Who would not recognize Count Dracula? I wouldn't. I have never seen myself. Of course. Vampires can't see themselves in mirrors. Exactly. I am probably the only person in the world who wouldn't recognize me. If I were to walk into a room right now, I'd say, who's that? What a shame. You're quite handsome. I used to be told that, but I haven't been getting the proper nourishment lately. The real reason I came was I was hoping that you could possibly put a spell on me so that I might see myself. In a mirror. Mira, on the wall. Who's the handsomest of all? Dracula. See? Mira, Mira, on the wall. Help the Count to see it all. You got it. <laughs> Well, you gotta start small. Tell you what, if you practice with this, I'll mix you a nice glass of plasma. Listen, can you show me your driver's license? I could get in trouble if you're under 18. <laughs> oh, Countess, you kill me. I'm over 638 years old. But who's counting? Ah, a la That's how they all fall. Bottoms up. Feed. Take them to the hoodoo room, boys. 
And it's right after this that uh, Frank and the Wolfman bust in through through a window and through a door, and shots that are in the opening credits. And uh, they end up getting zapped with the Ronnie Ray gun, as does Drac, which turns them all two-dimensional. And um, there's a lot of going back and forth. The two-dimensional monsters are great. I mean, that's something I would... I don't know... I mean, they're probably probably don't exist anymore but those are the sort of things that you see them and they're the perfect kind of things that you would uh you know bid on for ebay for a couple hundred bucks or something like that they're just these big life-size cardboard cutouts black and white photos of of the squad you know with with uh bruce kind of going and drac with the um with the cape over his face and the frank just with his arms outstretched i like that frank is kind of it's like drac and the wolfman i think if i remember correctly i was sort of looking at you but frank is kind of looking off to one side <laughs> which I, I quite I find amusing we do learn that um the reason why she is doing this and i forget if she says it in the sound right there but she because her boyfriend the wizard is in prison and she's trying to get the whiz out of there and you see a picture of the wizard and the wizard is an old guy with a really long you know wizard's beard and i think he may have a wizard's hat on you know with a tall like dunce hat kind of things and that's going to be important um sort of in the next episode but i'm not going to go ahead into that but just suffice it to know like uh yeah the ultra witch is um yeah she, she's doing this to try to free her boyfriend and um yeah and that, that's the episode the ultra witch episode seven we're a little more than halfway in here um we do see the invisible man over on the left at what it's interesting early on in the episode we see the sign that says you know don't look over here you know something in progress and and that was the invisible man and then later in the episode we see the invisible man there but i don't see the sign anymore maybe i don't i'm not i'm missing the sign i don't know but um but yeah they they use uh, it's you know the 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 um the, luckily they don't get they get uh locked up anywhere where they have to kind of goof around for a long period of time like in a clam or something this is just they're turned into the um the two-dimensional versions of themselves and they're 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 reversed fairly quickly but it's still it's still fun to see and then you get uh dandy andy with all his uh fresh unsold cookies and uh or is it yeah, it's Toil. Yeah, Toil goes to get the cookies. I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about that. It's great because the um, Dandy Andy's cookies is um, the the entrance to it is that entrance we've seen like that was like the entrance to the circus, and I think we saw it at the entrance to the Music Man's place. You know, just kind of it looks like a the entrance to like an office building or something with like a big window and and a glass door. Same same thing, same locations over and over. And just to the left of everything, there's like some bushes and shrubs and things where the guys hide so it's you know it's 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 basically the whole thing takes place in two three places it's on it's on that set with the uh with the andy's andy's dandy andy's cookies it's in the uh ultra witches the main room and then in the uh in the in the wax museum in the basement just basically three sets and it's it's the same you know three sets that they use over and over again again part of the charm of the show i don't know when you were a kid if that would have been something that you really really thought was cool or you are you or you sort of liked but didn't realize that you liked maybe didn't realize that it was the same but there was something sort of comforting about being in the same place with a different villain in there every time and ultra witch is a lot of fun i mean she doesn't uh she's got her ronnie ray gun which is hidden as a a pretend phone and well no i'm sorry it's a real phone um but you just lift the yeah you'll watch it and see how the ray gun works and she um she i guess has some spells she can't cast the spells because she um she she does the thing with the cows and everything like that oddly enough you don't see a cow in the episode which is weird you thought you might see a cow i guess that would probably break the bank right if they had a 
they had a cow. They've got the regular four guys. They've got the the bad guy, the bad guys, a bad woman, and her two henchmen, and then and then Dandy Andy. I was even surprised. I was surprised, kind of surprised to see Dandy Andy. I mean, like in the well, the last episode you had what the newscaster lady briefly in the beginning, and then you had Sam Drucker showing up. But this one, yeah, you get Dandy Andy for a few scenes, and. Well, overall, it's it's a it's a super fun episode. Julie Newmar is great in it. Um, the jokes um, seem to be cornier and worse than they were, but not not a bad way. You heard in the opening, say, "Well, cream them." They're not they're not good. They're bad. I, and I don't even I mean the laugh track's going, but I don't even know like if kids would have found those some music. I guess they might have. And the the weird thing is like the guys when they're doing the monsters stuff and they're delivering their jokes are very um very you know cornball bad jokes um but but yeah julie newmar is really a lot of times she really is kind of doing something weird and i like that that just seems to be kind of her thing just kind of doing it slightly off which i really like and, the, and it's cool too because the two the two henchmen the two guys there are very much like okay ultra which what do you need you need some cookies what are we making here soup you know that kind of thing they're very very sort of salt of the earth thug kind of guy goons hired goons that kind of that kind of thing and uh, they they work really well with her because she's kind of odd and eccentric, and obviously her boyfriend is a wizard, and it's great too because like you heard in the um when when Drac comes to the door, uh she she knows who Dracula is and she knows who the Frankenstein monster is and she knows who the Wolfman is, so she knows the Monster Squad. I mean, I think is this the first? No, I'm sure someone must have known the Monster Squad. Queen Bee knew Dracula, I think, right? But general, they don't. Do they know who the Monster Squad is? I'm not sure. I'll be honest. Um, I, we we still haven't got to the episode yet that I think is the first episode, but I feel like this may have been one of the first episodes they made, and and I only say that because um, for for uh, just just little little things um like um uh the, all the monsters act a little different from the way they normally do. Like Drac is a little um I don't want to say prissier, but he's a little he's he's he's. He he's a little bit different from the way he was in the previous episode, and 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 character wise, and 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 with Bruce, um, uh, Br- Bruce, I think the makeup is different. He looks hairier or something in this episode. And Frank, like you heard that opening soundbite there, he sounds smarter in points here than previous. I mean, to me, when I watch it, just just the little things like when when he act when 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 Walt activates the crime computer, you get like the shots that are in the opening credits of the crime computer opening up, or the close up of Walt's face, and then like Walt rubbing his hands together, moving towards it. You know, when when Frank busts through the door and when, when the Wolfman jumps through the window, those are in the opening credits. You get a lot of moments that are in the the opening credits that are here. And to to me I, I don't know for certain, but I, I feel like this is an early episode. And also, when we get to the next episode, I don't want to—I don't want to give it away right here. But so, um, uh, I, I think the next episode was obviously, I think, made after this one. But I really do feel, even though, even the way they, even the way you see sort of the, the couple overhead shots of that, um, the the Dandy Andy's, um, the the um, establishing shots of the of the place there of of the you know the front door that I mentioned earlier. You know, you've seen though we've seen that in several episodes or the exact same you know entrance to the set. We've seen that already several times. And I want to say in the previous episodes they didn't go out of their way to establish it as much, which means to me the fact that they did establish it here almost kind of says like this is the first time we're doing this, or this may first or second time we do it. I mean, I really do feel like in watching this episode, this isn't the first episode, 
But I do feel like maybe it was the second or third one they made. It really does feel like I said, the the monster, the makeup on Bruce is a little bit different. The monsters are acting a little bit different. Um, there will be a big callback to this episode soon. Um, uh, the characters uh, are a little bit different. You you see a bunch of shots that are in the opening credits. Like I said, the establishing shot on Dandy Andes, and there are just there are just some moments. And the, I mean, let, let's be honest too, yeah, Julie Newmar. The, the fact that Stanley Ralph Ross developed this and they're using Julie Newmar to me that I mean wh- when you see the names of all the you know the guest stars playing the villains in these episodes to me Sid Haig and Julie Newmar are the two that immediately I go whoa and and so um and I don't think little kids would have gone oh it's Sid Haig yeah um but I think Julie Newmar is his Catwoman they definitely would have so that that's why I kind of think like they the ultra witch would have been this would have been like a second or third episode maybe i could be completely wrong and i haven't we haven't got yet to the one i think is the first one but i do think just because of it it just feels like like they're they're still maybe sort of finding the monster characters here and after a couple episodes they settled into it because watching the previous episodes and then watching the monsters here the characterization feels wrong but i bet you cash money when we watch the next episode it'll feel right again and that means that the episodes are out of order they were kind of getting their characters together so uh, not that it's a bad episode it's a very good episode i mean when when frank and, and bruce get zapped and turned when, when all of them get turned into the the two-dimensional cutouts that's fantastic i really like that i think that's fantastic and like i said julie newmar's wonderful and the episode's got a nice pace to it and it's like julie newmar is um she's she's camping it up but she's not uh, she's not overdoing it she's just going into little weird spots that I really like. Uh, now, now again, um, this episode. I mean, it it moves it moves at a decent pace. I mean, it's not it's not lightning paced. I mean, if the, yeah, if this were made today, it it would go you know about five times this pace and just tear it, and it wouldn't be in just three rooms, um, two of which are relatively dinky rooms. You know, it's it's funny that they never. I don't think any of the mon- the bad guys, apart from Mister Mephisto's um, gals. They never, they never get to the wax museum, I don't think. They're always in this separate side room, which is too bad because the wax museum set is like the that's the big set. That's the big base, as it were. And so, yeah, it's 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 too bad that no one ever went there. But um, Julie Newmar and and the two Toil and Trouble are enough for the uh, for the room there. And I do like you can sort of see how how cheap it is. Like when you when you when you could. When Frank Frank goes through the door and you you know his uh, cutout shape is in the door and Toil and Trouble are talking in front of it, you can like see the you know there's a couple like shrubs that you can see and nothing else. And then when they take uh, when she goes into the back room, there's a periodic table hanging on the wall and nothing else. So it's I mean it still continues to be very cheap. They do they do their best with the dandy andies. They try to make it look somewhat cozy it actually ends up looking like more like your your old maiden aunt's living room or something like that than a place where you'd go buy cookies but um then it's too bad that that andy makes cookies that aren't good unless you dip them in milk that um and he doesn't seem to sell milk or maybe he does sell milk uh i don't know i don't see any in there but um yeah yeah it's uh it's 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 funny because there's not there's not really much to say about this episode it's not like um i i i think what it is is because the um the previous episodes felt like they were sort of building in quality and then this one is just uh, this one i think is a very good one but feels very early i i I can't really sort of continue to talk the way i have been talking i mean i like i i mean i will say there's there's a thing where um 
uh, Drac has a pulse, apparently, and he can control his heartbeat. So he's when he's a two-dimensional, he's doing his heartbeat in Morse code uh, to try to clue Walt and Andy into what's going on. I like that. But it's it's also funny, though, that they would do that with, um, with Drac because, you know, I, I wouldn't think... F- Frank would have a, um, uh, I guess he might have a heartbeat, right? He's got, because he's got a heart in there, right? So I guess he'd have a heartbeat. But it's, it's funny, like, of the three of them, like, Frank, I guess, would have a heartbeat. Bruce would definitely have a heartbeat. But Drac wouldn't, right? He's the undead. Why would he have a heartbeat? I don't know. But they say he does. I mean, I guess, I don't, they, they, they make the good joke, and yeah, the, the joke, and he makes a joke in there about how he doesn't drink blood anymore. He's gone on the wagon. I thought, how does he survive? Well, I guess if he's made of wax, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, Bruce never, you know, comes in from, you know, going out and doing something like with his, you know, like Paul Nashie style dripping, oozy, drippy blood from his, his, his jaws or anything like that. And the monster, Frank, he do, he does have the moment when he storms in at, at, at Ultra. He, he does, he does look pretty threatening actually kind of huge but then he stops and he speaks and so he's a little less threatening right there but overall it's a great episode I, you get um i i like uh i like walt i like the fact that walt is able to convince ultra that he's a college student selling uh assorted monster sounding magazines and she goes to get her purse and while she goes to get her purse he sneaks the cutouts in and brings the monsters back to life and they get a big fight and they can do a big wacky fight with brooms being swung around and jumping through the air and going back and forth on swings and it's um again if people getting hit with brooms are just kind of vaguely shoved is violence and there's violence and i mean the fight the fight is fine it doesn't there's not much to it really um and uh um and it, it it occurs because I think Ultra has to um, has to recharge the ray gun, the Ronnie ray gun, because one of them toiler trouble. I think it's one of them is use keeps using the batteries in the gun for his flashlight. So she comes back and then she ends up, um, uh, yeah. During that scene, you know, um, with uh, her her and, and Drac, Drac is given a little mirror there. You know, that's what he keeps looking into, and he holds up the mirror and the ray gun blasts off the mirror and turns her. Th- I feel bad. It turns her two dimensional, and she's holding the ray gun when she turns two dimensional i always kind of felt bad about that because they say i'll I'll play this in a moment but they say um you know they're going to send it to the whiz but i always i always i always feel kind of bad like unless there's another ronnie ray gun then she's staying two-dimensional forever unless the wizard can fix it i guess but that's for another day so let me stop talking right here again uh everyone so let me stop talking right here everybody and happy thanksgiving to all of you listening as this comes out on thanksgiving if we're past thanksgiving welcome to the december holiday season i hope all is well with you all and next up oh what's the next episode called i'm not gonna tell you but it's fun because that was monster squad episode seven and uh let, let me play let me play uh, um just one one more scene this is the closing scene and i'll play a little bit of the uh closing music too but here's the closing scene after everything is is said and done and they've got ultra witches cut out i guess when i said none of the the villains ever make it to the wax museum apart from mr mephisto technically ultra witches um cut out makes it there and it's standing with them as they are in the museum basement so listen to this and happy thanksgiving what are you going to do with her Well, Squad, I guess I'm just a sentimental old fool, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send her back to the Wiz. You are? Sure. He should love her just as much as he ever did. She's just um, a little thinner. (laughs) Anyway, 
Milk is flowing steadily again, and the castor oil spell has worn off. Not quite. I forgot that she had changed all of the soda into castor oil. I had a bottle of cola by mistake. Boy, talk about a rude awakening. Oh, gee, Frank, that spell may take another day or two to wear off. It is too bad about Ultra. I was so hoping she could fix it so I could see myself in the mirror. Oh, you don't need a mirror, Drac. You're really very handsome. You're not just saying. Scout's honor. Well, you're almost as handsome as I am. What do you think, Bruce? Oh, handsomer. Uh, he's almost as handsome as I am. But then again, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. And my eyes have been very myopic lately. <laughs> I'll never know when they're kidding. thought the episode was over it's not because i want to talk just briefly about charlie brown thanksgiving the what is it the eighth or the tenth or the uh i think it's the tenth primetime peanuts special originally aired november 20th 1973 and uh, celebrating its 50th anniversary this year and i'm actually recording this on the 19th and i just watched it the 20th is a monday i got i have to work unfortunately so that's why i'm doing this the, the sunday before but uh, i thought i'd just talk about it a little bit um i don't have um I, I wish I could talk for a while about my um, sort of relationship with Peanuts. I don't really have one. I have the uh, first two volumes of The Complete Peanuts, which covers 50 through 54, uh, sitting on a shelf here next to The Complete Calvin and Hobbes and the Phil Hardy's uh, Film Encyclopedia books. But I don't really have too much um, uh, Peanuts. That I remember going to see Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown, in the theaters and having a good time. Although, I mean, I think I think it was uh, Pauline Kael who said neither in her, in her view of that or... The, one of the previous Peanuts, Charlie Brown movies, she said, who, who was it exactly who felt that all like kids' movies and things have to be sort of diluted with these endless kind of mediocre songs? And she said, just sitting in like Radio City Music Hall or something, watching, was it Race for Your Life? Or no, I think it was the first one. Um, I forget what the first one was called. You're a good boy, Charlie Brown. <laughs> I don't know what it was called. But she said there were just like, as she was sitting there, you know, there were all the kids there and the kids were watching and they were so excited. And she said like whenever songs came on, like kids would start running up and down the aisles. So I guess that's what happened when I went to see Night at the Opera Day at the Races in the theater when the musical numbers started. No one was paying attention. But it is one of those things where, like I remember going to see Run for Your Life, Charlie Brown, having a great time. I, I remember there were musical numbers in that, right? Because I remember not loving it. 
because it kept stopping and such. Luckily, um, Thanksgiving, along with Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown Christmas don't have that problem. There is sort of, uh, there, there's a there's there's the fun sequence when they're doing all the um, uh, Woodstock and Snoopy are doing the prep for the thank, the impromptu Thanksgiving dinner where that little birdie song is playing, which is very much, I mean, this is 1973, with those horns and that vocal. I mean, little I've, I've been listening to the Trouble Man soundtrack by Marvin Gaye recently. If if, if there had been a character named Little Birdie in, in Trouble Man or Shaft or Superfly, that would have been the song for him, except he wouldn't have had Thanksgiving dinner at the end. He would have been shot in an alleyway or a parking lot. But that's it's very much Little Birdie. You know, oh, no, that was the Brooklyn Nine-Nine theme. But you know, you know that, you know that horn. You know the horns that are in Little Birdie there. Yeah, we've got uh, the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, the third of the big primetime specials. 1965 was the Christmas one, which kind of um, set the standard and kind of uh, one of the one of the earliest, if not. Did the Mr. Magoo come before? I, 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 I don't fully know my animated Christmas special and holiday primetime special uh, history, but I do know obviously the Charlie Brown Christmas in '65 was a very early one, and it was the first Charlie Brown special of that of that sort. Uh, but this isn't about Charlie Brown Christmas. Maybe this year we can talk about. Well, maybe in two years we'll talk about when we get to the 60th anniversary of of Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, and Great Great Pumpkin is 66, and those are both, one of the things I love too is, is sort of, you can tell the time period passing sort of by, um, first off, forgive me, the Franklin character, and um, uh, uh, when, when Charlie Brown gives him the high five, when Franklin comes in the house, that feels very much like a 1973 thing to do, as opposed to a 1965 thing, uh, but it's the music that, that's the big thing with it here, is the... Um, uh, in in Charlie Brown Christmas and Great Pumpkin. In Charlie Brown Christmas, it's a lot of the um, uh, you know the the brushes on the drums, and the bass doom doom, and you know the piano, you know playing its little the little plaintive um, uh, Charlie Brown Christmassy themes that we've all heard. Merry Christmas time is here, you know, you know all this great stuff, and. And Great Pumpkin is a lot of that also, but with more flute. I think I think the flute is there to add. Um, I don't know. Does the flute make it? I mean, the the Charlie Brown Christmas is fun, but it also you know there's a prayer. There's no prayer. I mean, I, I'm not going into all the specials here, but um, uh, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas is you know they're having fun, but there are also moments at Christmas where you know you pause, like at Thanksgiving, to say your grace, to say your prayer, to go to church. Whereas Halloween is just about having fun and getting candy, and getting scared. And I guess the flute, like Peter and the Wolf, the flute shows off the fun of Halloween. And then Thanksgiving is 1973 and has very much uh, a jazzy soundtrack, but very much of 1973. Uh, I hear electric bass in there. I hear a lot of electric piano during, during, I think during the stretch when they're getting their pilgrim outfits, like the music underneath is just like you hear that electric bass and the drums, you hear lots and lots of electric piano and the horns and everything. It's very much 1973 jazz, which uh, the popular jazz at the time was more your electric jazz, your your fusion rising up, that kind of thing. So it's uh, the um, following the following the trends of the music at the time. And I, I uh, it, it's it's interesting to sort of if if you don't know that your 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 musical trends and stuff and why it's doing that, and you do Christmas and then you do uh, and then you go a year later to Great Pumpkin. And then you hop ahead, what, seven years to Thanksgiving? There can be a bit of a huh feeling to it. Uh, as opposed to, say, the um, 
the uh, the if you watch say the Garfields, you know Garfields start off with Halloween, then Christmas, and then one of the last ones they did was Thanksgiving, and actually Thanksgiving is a the Garfield Thanksgiving is a is a sequel to the Garfield Christmas because it returns Grandma. But if you watch them in order and you watch Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you're watching the sequel before the first one, so you're meeting you're seeing Grandma save the day in Thanksgiving. Spoiler um, before you meet her in Christmas, but that's a whole other thing. So yeah, this is this is the Thanksgiving uh, episode, and I think um, I, I was I was thinking I'd play sound bites, but um, I did notice something. And I did this originally air with the laugh track. I, I went to a bit of I didn't rewatch Christmas and Pumpkin, but I watched them. And there's you know they they say their things, they do their their things and their gags here. And but in 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 Thanksgiving, there's a there's a big feeling to it, especially a lot of Charlie Brown's t- uh, stuff and things, stuff and things. It, especially a lot of Charlie Brown's deliveries and, and some of the other deliveries. A lot of the deliveries have, like, pauses, like there was meant to be a laugh track there. I uh, I mean, one of my favorite funny moments when they're talking is when you have Marcy in the foreground and Snoopy in between her and Peppermint Patty and Peppermint Patty is saying, go talk to Chuck, um, you know, uh, tell him I'm sorry, and then, you know, I didn't mean what I said. And Marcy turns and looks at the camera, and, you know, she just got the glasses on. You can't see her eyes, but you, you can see her kind of, She you feel like she's rolling her eyes underneath the glasses, and then Snoopy's kind of looking at her. Peppermint Patty's looking at Marcy, Snoopy's looking at Marcy, Marcy's looking at us. But then they repeat that a few moments later, and you think, now, okay, did I get the joke wrong? Is she meant to be? Is that like a, just like a pause for where a laugh would have gone? But it does feel like if you watch the first half of it, a lot of the delivery, you know, uh, would be like, uh, you want me to kick that football? You're not going to take that football away, are you? No, Charlie Brown. Okay, well, then I'm going to kick it. Yeah, it's going to be great. You know, and there are these weird pauses that feel like, put in a laugh track when you're watching it. And it, it does kind of feel like, yeah, the... Charlie Brown Thanksgiving was meant to have a laugh track to it, at least parts of it. The um, when they actually do the little birdie, the the actual best parts of it for me, comedy wise, are the um, are the bits with Snoopy and Woodstock having fun, setting up the thing, doing the cooking, dressing up like pilgrims, the closing sequence with the turkey. We could talk about that in a minute. Those to me are the funniest bits, which is why I'm not playing you any sound bites, because uh, if if I played you the dialogue moments. It would either be some of Peppermint Patty kind of being annoying, Chuck being kind of confused by the whole day. Uh, you you get to hear those long pauses and things like that. And I'm not here to br- bring a br- bring you down because Thanksgiving is a lot of fun. I mean, of the three, it might be the weakest. Um, I because I, I always feel like Charlie Brown Christmas kind of nails it, gets it right, sets up the season. You know, it starts with everyone skating, and then you get some little little gags, and then the the, the, the musical and the tree and everything, and it kind of does it, and it mixes in, you know, um, Snoopy over-decorating his, his wonderful um, home, and and you get you get all the great stuff, and it's all there. And then Great, great Pumpkin, uh, I just I thought Great Pumpkin was a bit too slow, and, it, and it, to me it comes with... I remember when I was a kid really loving those moments with Linus sitting out in the pumpkin patch, and um, I always think part of me confuses, and I know, again, Dan, you said you weren't going to talk about those. I think you have to talk about all three of them together. There's something about the Great Pumpkin. I think I always confuse, like, I think when I was a kid, I always felt like the Great Pumpkin might show up. Or I always, I think I, maybe when I watched when I was very young, I thought that the Great Pumpkin showed up for real. And I kept watching it again and thinking, why did they change it? Why is why is the Great Pumpkin not showing up? Now, I may have confused some of that with, um, the Christmas Eve on Sesame Street. There's a scene in Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, you know, where, where Big Bird goes up and he sits on Christmas Eve during a blizzard. He sits on the roof of the 
the house, the building, the apartment building where um, is it is it Mr. Hooper's store or Bert and Ernie's house or you know one I think I think it's the house it's it's the it's the house where Bert and Ernie live I think or the or the one across the street where Mr. Hooper is I I should forget which house it is he's in but he's on he's on the roof of one of those so he's like three four stories up and in the snow and he's waiting for Santa to show up and you see the chimney which is just a couple of tubes and you know he's thinking how's Santa gonna get down that and then he he falls and he's watching he's watching and then he falls asleep. And the moment that always kind of creeped me out uh, as a kid, and I, I really love now, is this moment where, like, there's kind of a little bit of moonlight shining down on Big Bird, and everything else is kind of dark, and the snow is falling, and it's cold, and, and Big Bird has ice on the end of his nose. And then as he's asleep, all of a sudden the music t- hits like a minor key. And then all of a sudden you hear, like, the, the jingle of sleigh bells and some noises, and then all of a sudden a shadow falls over Big Bird just for a moment. And then all of a sudden it cuts the Big Bird's eyes opening and the shadow's gone and all the sounds are gone. And you're like, oh my God, Santa really did arrive. And he really did arrive. That's the joy of the episode is that Santa arrived. Whereas in Great Pumpkin, we know that it's never going to arrive. And as I get older, I, I um, and maybe I thought this when I was a kid too, but the Zingers commercials distracted me. The, um, the, the Linus waiting out for the Great Pumpkin to show up gets a little old to me. And then when it cuts to Snoopy um, riding, you know, thinking of the Red Baron and, and the World War Two or the World War One, you know, the Red Baron shop with Camel, that kind of thing. Why did I suddenly forget what war we were in? Um, but you know what I'm talking about, the war stuff uh, with Snoopy. Always makes me feel like, um, like Char- Charles Schultz didn't have like 25 minutes of Halloween stuff that he could do i mean really that's the thing with halloween is halloween to me is a lot of fun and it's an absolute classic but it's also uh, underdone there isn't enough stuff going on so whenever it cuts to snoopy flying his 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 doghouse around i tend to lose interest because it's not halloween related and it feels out of place to me and it did when i was a kid too um and thanksgiving i think moves kind of too fast you learn that, that Charlie Brown and, and and Sally are going on the to, to Grandma's house, and then all of a sudden, Peppermint Patty calls up out of nowhere, and, and suddenly they've gone from we're relaxing for a little bit and going to Grandma's house in a few hours to Peppermint Patty, Franklin, and Marcia are coming over for Thanksgiving dinner. What? And I feel like I don't I don't know if that was I know a lot of these are taken from um, uh, Charles Schultz, Sparky, Mr. Schultz would take these from. Uh, adapt these from uh, uh, comic strips, you know, long-running stories in comic strips, and Jim Davis used to do that too with like, a, like is it Garfield on the town where Garfield gets lost and meets his family like in the city, that was based on a long-running series of strips and things um, and uh, and I know like at Christmas time and, and Thanksgiving and the holidays and stuff um, the the best of the comic strips like, like this one, like in some respects Garfield, uh, but Kellen and Hobbes too like when Christmas would hit, like if you read the Kellen and Hobbes from beginning to end the Christmas strips get more and more elaborate as they go, and the stories in and around, like like right after Thanksgiving, he starts trying to Calvin starts trying to find ways to be a good boy, um, and trick Santa into bringing him gifts for another year, that kind of thing, and 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 I know that that Charles Sparky did the same thing. I'm gonna call him Mr. Schultz. So Thanksgiving, I'm sure there was a big lead up, and I but I I don't know, and like I said. I am not, this is impromptu, this is just me talking about the special, having just watched it, this is not me as a Peanuts historian. Um, so I'm guessing par, possibly a part of this was based on uh, strips, but I honestly don't know. It could have been, it might not have been. Um, but I always feel like it kind of moves too quick. It's one of those, it's one of those weird episodes of something like, 
Well, I guess the other two have them, right? Uh, Charlie Brown buys the tree that they, he knows everyone is going to hate, and then they yell at him and, and, and humiliate him, and then they love him in the end. And and Linus says the great pumpkin. Well, that That's slightly different because even when he winds up asleep in the, in the pumpkin patch at like 3 in the morning or whatever, and Lucy has to go get him and bring him home, at the end of the episode, he still believes the great pumpkin is coming back. So there's something... That, that one's a little different. But this one, too, has like... Um, the moment you know he you know he and Snoopy and Linus are like okay we're gonna and Woodstock are like okay we're gonna do this Thanksgiving dinner and they prepare it I lo- I love the I, you you can tell like when when Pepper and Patty Marcy and Franklin stroll out to the 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 um, tennis table the ping pong table that they've covered with the tablecloth and, and prepared you you can see how the big smiles on everyone's faces everyone is so happy that they're there and they're gonna have a meal and it's gonna be great but then the moment I mean Pepper and Patty doesn't even eat right and it's funny because if you look when Pepper and Patty's yelling you can see is it Sally or Lucy or someone is in the as in Linus in the background is just eating merrily happily eating away with no problems um, it isn't until Pepper and Patty yells and and basically yells Charles away from the table that suddenly everyone becomes dour and unpleasant if she had shut her big fat mouth then maybe maybe um, I'm not a huge fan of Pepper and Patty Pepper and Patty has her charms um, uh, but I, I was never a huge fan of Pepper and Patty um and uh, yeah, her and Marcy are a fun couple together. I just, I just, I just, it's, it's a weird episode because it's one of those episodes where I really enjoy the episode up until that moment. So that's about 16, 17 minutes in. I'm not 100% sure. Give me a second. Oh no, I went too far. I went too far. He went too far. Never asking like, what are you doing? What's going on? And of course, I, I mean, that's a problem too. Um, as, as is brought up, you know, Charlie Brown is pretty wishy-washy. All he does is the, I, uh, I, uh, we've seen it in a, a thousand, so very much like a, like a sitcom. Like this could have been, um, you know, they could have altered this into a Bob Newhart episode. Outfits, all that stuff. That's the funny stuff. Snoopy's battle with the chair, the folding chair that Franklin doesn't succeed with the folding chair that he fell into. I remember that. Gosh. Someone should write a book on, or maybe do a website on, in, like internet rage flare-ups, where like you you wake up one day, do 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 do, enjoying your day, and you happen to go on social media and see that everybody has suddenly flared up about this thing, this random thing out of nowhere, and by the next day everyone's forgotten about it. You know that happened. That's, that's happened so often. I wonder if someone is taking them all down, maybe to do a book like maybe once a day. Here's here are this decade's internet flare-ups. But but that was one I remember with Franklin. Why does Franklin get the folding chair, not a regular chair? Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, the the episode itself, uh, to me, it has probably the funniest moments in the three main holiday specials with Snoopy and Woodstock together. It also has the most annoying moments with Peppermint Patty inviting herself over there and then getting so angry and then sort of not realizing what she did. And then when Grandma invites them along and Peppermint Patty is the one who sent out to say, hey, we're all going to uh, Chuck's grandma's house for Thanksgiving. It's like, oh, Peppermint Patty, go away. Take Marcy and Franklin with you. Well, maybe leave Marcy and Franklin, but Peppermint Patty, go away. And it's weird because there's never a feeling. I guess that's part of the thing, right? I mean, I, I guess the theme of it is kind of shown later on in that it begins with Lucy tricking Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown's never going to learn. He's always going to get taken advantage of. He's always going to get laughed at. And 
someone like Lucy is always going to be able to, uh, with no remorse, is going to do that to him. And the whole episode is about Pepman Petty taking advantage of him uh, because he's wishy-washy and then yelling at him and then sort of vaguely asking for forgiveness, but not really. She sends Marcy in to do it. And then um, it just kind of, uh, she she learns nothing and, and Charlie Brown gets a bit of a respite until I guess the next holiday special. So it's, it's tricky. It is really one of those episodes of something where I really enjoy it. I I really enjoy the first few minutes that Peppermint Patty calls, and I don't particularly enjoy that. I'm not a huge fan of the Lucy and football thing, I guess. So, all right. So, I, I, I think I'm a huge fan from the moment that they start to prepare for the dinner until um, Peppermint Patty yells. So, I don't know, was that about 10 minutes of the episode, 10, 12 minutes of the episode? I really, really enjoy. The other half is, to me, just okay to um, actively annoying Peppermint Patty. Sorry about that. And what can you say about, like, Woodstock having some um, turkey? You know, should should a bird be eating a bird? Don't big birds eat little birds? Do they? I don't know. Again, I'm no ornithologist. I didn't look this up. But it's funny when you watch this scene. I, when I was a kid, I don't think I noticed it. But as an adult, every time it happens, I'm kind of like, oh, gosh. He, he seems okay eating it, though. He, he seems to be all right. Maybe, um, maybe he doesn't know what it is. Although they do point out that there is, I think, after this, there became sort of a running gag at Thanksgiving time where Woodstock was afraid that he was going to get killed and eaten at Thanksgiving. And so Snoopy would have to disguise him or hide him and stuff like that. So it is kind of a weird, it is kind of a weird moment, but but it's also like it's a sweet moment between two friends, you know. And Snoopy doesn't seem particularly bothered by Pepper and Patty. I think he and Woodstock know that this cycle just goes on and on and on, you know, never ending. Like the Garfield holiday specials, the Thanksgiving is the least of them, uh, but the Thanksgiving special does of Garfield does have some funny moments with John being just a rotten date, and then when Grandma shows up, that's always fun. Um, uh, it just the the Garfield Thanksgiving kind of feels almost like an afterthought to the Halloween and Christmas episodes, which are very very good. This one, the the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, doesn't feel like an afterthought. It's it's well animated. Like I said, a lot of great visual gags. Um, it's just uh, the yeah the the story itself. I think just kind of like the moment Peppermint Patty calls, you know, there's a steamrolling towards something bad happening, and it's kind of like, do we want to? It it I I think what it is, and it's it's related to what I just said. It's kind of about learning a lesson about Thanksgiving. It isn't really about the meal. It's about giving thanks and the people you're spending time with. Of everyone at that table, the person who has to learn the lesson is Peppermint Patty. But when the episode ends, you don't get the feeling at all that Peppermint Patty learned that lesson. What what you got the feeling of is that if Peppermint Patty didn't get a better... if If Grandma hadn't called, I think there would have been an issue still. Um, she, I, th- I think, what would have happened is she would have. Here's what I think what would have happened is she would have said that she forgave Charlie Brown for doing whatever he didn't really do, and then when all all had settled down after a minute or two, she would have wondered where the real meal was and what was going on, what was happening, and um, and if if Charlie Brown explained the thing about Grandma and stuff like that, uh, um, and uh, she she would have been even more pissed. Um, she she I, I think she would have continued to blame Charlie Brown for having a bad Thanksgiving if Grandma didn't say that. So I don't think it's it's something about a lesson learned. But the person the only person who has to learn the lesson at the table is the one person I think who doesn't learn the lesson at all. 
You know, that would be like saying if the lesson learned at the end was, you know, maybe Lucy, who who does nothing in the episode apart from in the beginning, maybe, maybe Lucy learns that she shouldn't do that to Charlie Brown at the end of the episode. I want to say there is something in one of the specials or in the comic strip or something where she kind of learns that it isn't very nice to do that. But then like a week later, she does it again anyway. So it's sort of like, okay, empty, lesson learned, zero. And so, so it's funny, like you're, you're teaching the lesson to the person who you know hasn't learned the lesson at all so it's kind of like eh, what's the point you know maybe um maybe we should have come up with something a little more fun here i don't know and uh i i, I always do, do kind of wish in the end when marcy says isn't there a song that goes over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go i always hope every time i watch it that someone would say no no, there isn't. And then they could sit there quietly in the back of the station wagon, not making any noise. But Grandma's pretty accommodating, right? Bringing over three... She doesn't know who these three kids are. I don't think I'd invite them over. But hey, that's Grandma, right? So, yeah, so that's the episode. Not not my favorite of the three specials. Uh, it's, like I said, Charlie Brown Christmas, I think, is, is still pretty darn good. Uh, Great Pumpkin, I find a little dull uh, now. And Charlie Brown Thanksgiving is, is a thing of halves. When Snoopy and Woodstock are doing their thing, it's wonderful. And when Peppermint Patty's being herself, it's not very good. At least in my mind. I mean, it's it's animated well. It looks good. And it just occurs to me: could could part of the thing with the voices have? No, this I was going to say could have something to do with like this was one of the first ones where they used kids instead of like grown-ups pretending to be kids. Could that have something to do with like? Because there is a feeling when some of the lines are delivered, if these are these are kids that maybe they don't quite know what they're saying, or it just feels a little weird. Could that be why? It feels like there's a laugh track, the weird pauses and everything. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking about this. Um, yeah, when I was a kid, uh, yeah, we, um, we, uh, it was funny. We had, we used to have Thanksgiving. We would go to, um, my, my, my mom, my mom's family lived across the street from my dad's family. So we would go to, and this was end of the seventies throughout like the first half of the eighties. We would go to my Fairbanks street, Fairbanks Avenue in Rochester, New York. Uh, we would go to my, my Polish, my, my mom's side of the family and we would have a big dinner and then when we were all done eating we'd hang out there for about an hour and that we would have and that would be like we'd have dinner around like two or three in the afternoon and then around six or so we'd walk across the street to the Budnick family we would walk across the street to the Budnick family and they would be um, uh, uh, having their and usually they were a little more um casual about it it wasn't really a sit down kind of dinner it was like put everything on a table grab a plateful and sit somewhere in the house you know so you'd find people sitting upstairs sitting in the basement sitting in the backyard if it was warm you know sitting everywhere no they didn't really sit together so so yeah that was the way thanksgiving was for basically the first um the first thanksgiving i can remember late 70s into the mid 80s and then my mom got uh remarried after my dad died and then thanksgivings became either my stepdad's family would come over to our house or we would go over to my aunt mary's house and um i'll be honest thanksgivings became a lot less um interesting to me at that point um the 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 the, uh, the budnick family was much more varied uh different age groups and and uh that kind of thing whereas my you know my my my, my you know my stepdad's family was basically you know it, it it was basically it was yeah it was my family my aunt Mary and my uncle Tom they're two kids who are both older than me and that was it 
and so there wasn't a nice mix of you know you didn't have the, and there and the, and sometimes your their their mother would be there too who who was you know grandma who would who'd be older but you didn't have like the the budnik mix of like all sorts of different age groups and here there and people you could play with and you could hang out with and stuff there was no one no one i could really talk to in that family when i tried you know within like a minute or two of the conversation you're like okay i shouldn't have i, I don't think i should have started this conversation so unfortunately yeah, my hol- it was funny my holidays from the second half of the 80s to the early 90s um got kind of lame thanksgiving and christmas because of that because now uh the holidays but this this isn't for me to say but j- just to say like i love thanksgiving well well what made thanksgiving great um was that in the early 90s 91 to 95 or so was the um or 91 to 90 90 91 92 93 94 95 was uh were the turkey days on Mystery Science Theater, and that's the, that's one of the big things for me now, uh, with Thanksgiving, is I watch a lot of Mystery Science Theater three thousand, and sometimes I theme it to the Turkey Days in the first half of the nineties, thirty freaking years ago, and sometimes I don't. I just watch random episodes, but um, but yeah, yeah. Thanksgiving for me when I was very young was great. Then when I was in my teens, it wasn't so great, and then by the time my teens were done, I was in college. I was sort of able to do my own thing, and it kind of became decent again. Um, and yeah, so Thanksgiving, you know, it's it's a good time. It's it's a fun holiday. I mean, for a lot of people, it's, it's a four day weekend, and Black Friday is more important than Thanksgiving. But you know, we 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 sit down, uh, you know, with the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, and we can watch, um, you know, a mean girl be mean to a uh, shy boy and uh, yell at him after they clearly put in a lot of effort and things like that. I do I do like the ping pong table being used for the Thanksgiving. Thank God that that they put the tablecloth on it because if it hadn't been a tablecloth on it. Pepper Pad would have been ballistic before she sat down. All you think is there's a, a Thanksgiving episode of the Beverly Hillbillies. I think it's season two, uh, where they have on the billiards table. They have I don't think that I don't think the um, the clams ever learn what the game of billiards is, but they have um, dinner on the billiards, the billiards table, and um, this is sort of similar to that. Uh, but yeah, so that's 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 Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. I just me talking about basically kind of talking about the Charlie Brown specials in general right here, kind of a one-off primetime special. I just wanted to uh, talk about it. And the the animation is fun. Snoopy and Woodstock are great. Um, the rest of it, I think. Um, I mean, uh, that, that, the thing, right? One more thing, like like Charlie Brown Christmas has several different stories going through it. Great Pumpkin has a bunch of different stories going through it. Charlie, the Thanksgiving just has the one story going through it. Um, it's Thanksgiving at Peppermint Patty. Marcy and Franklin have invited themselves over for a non-existent Thanksgiving dinner. And you know that Charlie Brown's going to get yelled at in the end. It's funny that Linus doesn't get yelled at. Snoopy doesn't get yelled at. No one else gets yelled at when they all presume, they presumably worked on it together. Um, and I just, just um, yeah, I, uh, I, don't, I, don't mean, I don't mean to complain about it. But it's just, I, I, I just really do think like if it was a different storyline that was in there, if it was this huge preparation and someone was like, this is a weird Thanksgiving, but they roll with it and they all have a good time, I think that would have been better than, like I said, having a lesson to teach about the true spirit of Thanksgiving. I haven't even talked about pilgrims. That's another story. The true spirit of Thanksgiving and having that lesson be learned by the one person who you know hasn't learned the lesson. Oh, well. But happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I hope uh, you have a great holiday and we're going to go into the Christmas season here. We have two more episodes before the end of 2023 and we'll be finishing out season one of Max Headroom and we're going to continue on with... uh, some uh, Monster Squad, and yes, there may be a Christmas um, segment in here somewhere. You just hold on, it's going to be great. But let me uh, let me play you a little something here, and happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>